Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to Home Energy Design, a podcast that teaches you how to design a beautiful home and life and make sure it's energy aligned. I'm your host, Amanda Gates, and I'm a professional interior designer, realtor, and advanced feng shui practitioner. And these combined skills have made me an energy design expert, helping you find, create, and design the home and life you've always dreamed of. Are you ready? Hell yeah, let's do this. Hey, hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Amanda Gates, and I'm thrilled to have Mike Anthony on the show today. One of the things I found so fascinating about this interview is how it all came about, seriously. When it comes to the Wooniverse, all things are possible. So back in January, I grabbed my laptop, I turned on Netflix, and the plan was to just, you know, find something and kind of put it on in the background. I rarely, if ever, sit down and actually watch a show or watch a movie. I am way too fidgety for that. In fact, most of my friends refuse to watch anything with me because I get up a thousand times to do a thousand things or I'm doing things while I am quote unquote watching. It can seriously take me five hours to watch like a two hour movie because I'm all over the place. If you've listened to me and in past shows, I actually talk about our elemental makeup and my elemental makeup is classic wood. Oh, good grief. (laughs) Wood is notorious for being a whirlwind of activity and they can't sit still. It's always on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. We're fidgety. (laughs) Just how we're wired. So now that you have the backdrop of my weird idiosyncrasies, my quote unquote wood, you know, idiosyncrasies. (laughs) On this particular day, it was about seven o'clock at night. I turned on Netflix, poured some wine and was planning on tweaking my listing packet for my real estate business and just having something on in the background. But before I started tweaking the packet, well, I had to find something to put on, right? I've got to find that background noise. Well, Netflix is like the eager freshman in high school that's vying for the senior classmate's attention. It's constantly making suggestions on what it thinks I might like. Hey, Amanda, check this out. You might like it. And if you seriously want to get to know someone, I swear, just check out their Netflix channel because mine is like such a telltale sign of who I am. It's like uh, planet Earth documentaries, in-depth pieces on Buddhism, metaphysical shows, and tons of stuff on NDEs. So <laughs> Netflix recommended exactly what it knew I would want to watch. And it recommended this show called Surviving Death. And I was like, hmm, this sounds interesting. And as soon as I saw it and I realized that it was about NDEs, I was like, uh, hell yeah, I'm in. So another thing I should mention is that if you know anything about astrology, my astrology screams that I love all things death. Which is funny because I used to laugh about this thing. One thing is being a Scorpio is we love death. And I used to always read that and think, that's so stupid. That's so crazy. I'm not all about death. Until a friend of mine pointed out that I'm so fascinated by NDEs. It's all I read and watch. Which is, um, yeah, that's about death. (laughs) So Scorpio... Uh, loves to dive into the depth of things. And I have five major planets in Scorpio. And in addition to that, my moon, which is all about emotions, is in the eighth house. And one of the things that the eighth house represents and is known for uh, is death. So yeah, (laughs) I am a textbook case of death fascination over here. So, and it's still so funny to me that I never used to put the two and two together until a friend had to point it out to me. So back to Netflix, it makes the suggestion of surviving death. And of course I was in, yep, sign me up, hook, line and sinker. I'm all over it. 
On comes a gentleman named Mike Anthony, and he's speaking about his awesome dad and the idea of synchronicity after his dad unexpectedly passes away. All these weird things start happening to Mike, but Mike is a major skeptic. He's not sure that all these things are truly his dad. He keeps rationalizing them. So basically what happens is he ends up on a quest. He wants to learn more. Now remember when I mentioned earlier that I cannot sit still and rarely watch TV without doing 500 other things. Well, I had this show on in the background and as each episode came on, I found myself getting more and more intrigued to the point to where I was doing nothing, which is very rare for me, other than sitting on the edge of my seat, fully engrossed into this show. I ended up watching every single episode in a matter of two days. And I was so disappointed when it ended. Like I was like, oh no, I need more. Well, the thing is, is that three days after completing the show, Mike's publicist randomly, and I use the word quote unquote randomly very loosely because we all know that there are no mistakes. So the publicist reaches out to me and says, wow, you know, we love your show. We love what you're doing. Would you be interested in having Mike Anthony on your show to discuss his new book? Uh, yeah. (laughs) It's like the universe or maybe dad heard my plea of wanting more and gave me a direct line to Mike to continue the conversation and the many questions that I had. Uh, hot damn. (laughs) So Mike's new book is called Love Dad. How my father dies and then he tells me he didn't. (laughs) So I think what's really great about this book is that if you are experiencing any level of grief from losing someone in your life, you have to read this book. It's insightful, it's heartfelt, it offers up hope. And, you know, grieving is such a uh, really hard thing to pinpoint because it looks different for everyone. And everyone grieves differently. So when you're going through the the loss of someone near and dear to your heart, you know, you go through all these different emotions and somebody who is also grieving may say, hey, this worked for me, or maybe you should try this and it may not work for you. And so that's what I really loved about this book is that I feel like it offers up some real hope to those that are going through this experience. And it's especially important if you are a hardcore skeptic, because as you read the book, oh my God, I wanted to strangle him. (laughs) Good Lord. His poor father, I swear, was on the other side, smacking his forehead and rolling his eyes at how skeptical his son is, despite the countless unexplainable events that kept occurring in Mike's life that really prove that it is his dad and that his dad is still with him. But, you know, it takes some people a little bit longer to understand this. But it shows how the other side is constantly communicating with us if we choose to see it and if we choose to believe it. So this is absolutely a show that you do not want to miss. And it is a show that if you are going through any amount of loss in your life, any kind of grieving, I don't care if it happened last week or 10 years ago, grief is grief. This book gives you hope that there's more, that there's things that are going on behind the curtain that you can't see. Alrighty, just a few announcements before we dive into today's show. Don't forget that the Top 5 Disruptors course is still on sale. It's normally $99 and it's currently 25% off or $69. Woohoo! Uh, and don't forget, if you want to learn more tips and tricks around feng shui, real estate, interior design, uh, and just receive additional content that's not found anywhere else, be sure to check out the Patreon page. The link is in the show notes. Alrighty. Today, you're going to learn about Mike Anthony's awesome new book called Love Dad. You're going to learn how skepticism turned him into an optimist and why we need to stay curious on this journey called grief. And those that leave us are still with us, even if we can't see them. Alrighty, are you ready? Hell yeah, let's do this. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, Amanda. Thanks so much for having me. 
I am so stoked to have this conversation with you. This is so <laughs> up my alley. <laughs> so here, here is dad at work again. So I'm perusing through Netflix and I see this show and I'm like, ha, huh, this really sounds interesting. I think I would really like this surviving death. This like, I'm really into this NDE stuff. And I didn't really know what the hell it was, but I was like, I'm in like anything to do with weird stuff like that. I'm in. So I watch it and no kidding. Like a week later, I get an email from, uh, I can never pronounce her, her name, right? Is it D D a uh, Dia Dia. And she sends me people all the time. You'd think by now I would know this. I mean, we've been in a relationship now for eight years. I should know her name. <laughs> um, and she goes, would you be interested in interviewing Mike Anthony? And I'm like, why do I know this name? <laughs> and then she, I was like, well, if he's an author, you know, send me his book. So I have a chance to read it. And then I'll, you know, let you know if I want to have him on the show. And she's like, great. You know, just a little backstory. He was just in a documentary and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> it was so synchronistic. It was bizarre. Synchronicity, yep. But it really wasn't like, this is my life. This is how things show up for me. So <laughs> I love this stuff. And I, honestly, we're going to get into it today, but I was cracking up as I was reading the book. Your level of skepticism is like on a level 10, right? <laughs> and I was like, all right, Mike, how many more signs do you need here? But right, before we, right. before we get into all that, let's dial it back a little bit. Tell us about your dad before he died. He sounds amazing. Yeah, he was an extraordinarily loving man. You know, he, um, I tell the story a lot. I think I tell it in the book too. When I was young um, uh, and we started, I started going to catechism. You know, my family wasn't particularly religious, but my mom was sort of covering the bases, you know, just in case that's the only way to get into paradise. <laughs> we might as well do the baptism and all that stuff. So I'm uh, in catechism and I start to learn about angels. And uh, it struck me that my dad has all of the qualities of an angel. He, he just, um, even when I was a very young kid, he seemed to me like he was somehow different than the other parents that I that I met, for instance. And one day in the kitchen, he's like making his uh, his one and only dish, uh, his French toast. And I was like, Dad, just just tell me. I swear I'm going to keep this between you and I. Your secret will be safe with me. Are you an angel? And uh, you know, he was like, well, What do you mean? And I said, Well, you're just you're just so nice all the time to everybody. And he said, Well, you should always try to be nice. And and that was it. Um, but he really did have this, um, energy about him and it wasn't just me. Uh, you know, he, my dad would have done perfectly well if he had been, uh, a Tibetan monk, uh, living a life up on a, a mountain, uh, uh, meditating. He would have fit right in with that energy. He was just, um, exuded love, uh, and generosity, um, so he was the center of our lives. You know, my family, like, like all families, we, 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 we're, we're, we're crazy in, in our ways. Um, and uh, my dad was sort of the, the center of that, uh, you know, sort of the eye in the center of that storm, uh, the, the guy that we would go to anytime there was any trouble. So really, really the center of our lives. Yeah, he really sounded like the glue and just the dynamic uh, that he and your mom had and, and just, he sounds extraordinary. You know, I, I think that everyone I, I loved, I think it was, um, Dr. Bashil. Is that how you pronounce her name? Bishel. Bishel. Yeah. I'm just butchering names. No, today. you're doing great. You're doing great. Um, she talks about 10 out of 10 people experience death, which I loved that, right. loved that <laughs> sense of humor. But, uh, you know, after reading, Joan Didion's book, the, the year of magical thinking, it really kind of opened up my eyes to the way that, um, everybody has experienced grief, but at the same time, everybody experiences it differently. Mm. And we all go through, um, a process of grief, but nobody does it the same way. And I, I want you to share with the audience what it was like to get that phone call. He's gone. He's gone. Yeah. And you're trying to work. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, I was working at a, uh, I work, my day job is bartending for a theater on Broadway. So, um, you know, that, that night, the show that I was working had two intermissions. And just before the first intermission, my sister called me frantically asking me if my dad had come back to New York with me because I had been visiting with him in Connecticut the day before. Um, and I said, no, of no, he didn't. Of course not. Um, what happened was he hadn't shown up to work that day, which was, you know, that that's something that would never happen. I think my dad maybe perhaps literally never missed a day of work. Um, so a coworker of his was so alarmed by his absence that she actually drove to his house after work uh, and banged on the door. And when he didn't answer, uh, you know, that's when she called the police. So uh, just before the second intermission, uh, and you know how it is on Broadway, when that curtain comes down, everyone comes rushing to the bar, right? You know, <laughs> Gotta, yes, boo. <laughs> you got 15 minutes to get your booze and get back to your seat. So, so there's this frantic energy. And as, uh, as the people are descending on me, uh, the phone rings and I pick it up and my sister is wailing on the phone and, and my mom is there too. And they're screaming, um, and uh, saying he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. Um, what and, was and going that, through your mind as you heard that? Did you God. think that he had gone somewhere or did you recognize what the hell they were saying? I knew it. I, I, right after I got the first phone call that he hadn't shown up for work, I knew something was terribly wrong. So I, I think I... I think I knew it, um, but hearing that sound, like I write in the book, you know, I, I, I'm an actor as well. And, you know, you read the word whale in, yeah. in like Greek tragedies. I, I had no sense of what that word truly meant until I heard the unnatural sounds of despair coming out of my mom and my sister. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I really thought that they were gonna die as well from the shock. I thought I'm, I'm gonna lose everyone to this. Because um, my dad, you know, he was 60 years old uh, and he was a very young 60. You know, we thought he was going to we thought he had many decades left to go. Um, so it, it to us, it came out of absolutely nowhere. And and then I was in I hung up the phone because, again, now I have all of these people here. And I said to my uh, my partner, uh, my bar partner, my, my dad just died. And, and he said, what? And I said, my, my dad. And then I have this very vivid memory of serving this woman drinks. I'm making her this rum and Coke and, and asking her, how's the show? Are you enjoying the show? Uh, and, you know, I, I realize now, I, and I went through that whole intermission asking people how the show was. Um, and now I realize I was in shock. And then later on that night, I had like a, uh, a physiological response uh, in what I would later understand was my first uh, panic attack um, as, as my... Um, body tried to deal with this uh, incredibly um, powerful emotion. Uh, you know, it was, it was by far the most jarring experience of my life, I, other than 9-11, where I, I, I worked in New York for 9-11. Other than, than that, uh, this was the most jarring experience of my life. Yeah, I think you, um, I actually, I underlined this because I thought it was so I, I want to say eloquently written, although I know it didn't feel that way, but I thought that you articulated very um, well the experience literally on uh, page one, the call, chapter one, the panic attack began. I realize now the moment I heard the first worst sounds I'd ever encountered, which came in the package of words barely shaped hanging in the air with a terrible lack of articulation, malformed by angst, almost unintelligible, the deficit of definition making them all the more piercing. He's gone. Oh my God, he's gone. I mean, you could almost end the book right there. Start and beginning right there. I mean, you've completely yeah. articulated loss right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was that, I mean, it was shattering, you know, it was a, sh it was a shat, as you said, everyone experiences grief in different ways. And of course, there's no right or wrong way to do it. There's no amount of time that is correct for it. You know, it, everyone deals with it in their own personal way. Um, for me and my family, uh, it was shattering it, to the point that uh, we really truly didn't know how to move forward in our lives. And it actually sent me into a full-blown existential crisis, as I talk about in the book, you know, if someone as as full of life and love as my dad, if everything that he ever was could suddenly disappear, um, like it, like he'd never been here at all, uh, I was having real trouble um, understanding what the point to anything could be. You know, 
Right. Well, it's interesting because as I was reading it, the the words that kept coming to mind for me was ascended master. Like Mm. just he, I mean, even when, which we're going to talk about her in a minute, but the experience that Angelina has where she's literally choking up because his love is so overwhelming once he's passed over and she's reading him. And I'm just like, oh my God, he's an ascended master. Like he literally, he came here to do his path. And in order for you guys to take your, or step into your next chapter, he had to go. Of course, it's shitty going through the experience, but like, you know, just everything that you describe about him, I just kept thinking, my God, like he's literally ascended all. I mean, you even talk about how he didn't give two flips about anything in his own life. He just wanted to make Mm. sure that y'all are carried, you know, cared for that y'all had the things that you needed and he would do without. And I love how you described that he had to get a deal on everything so that he had more money for you guys. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, he drove to the, to, to the day that he died, he drove car, you know, he was always looking for his next quote unquote deal, which was a car that was barely hanging on, um, you know, and yeah, he, he, he wore clothes until they basically uh, disappeared from use. You know, they just uh, disintegrated eventually. He had, he had absolutely no concern for anything material, uh, unless it, unless it was to make our lives easier. Um, you know, he would have done, when I say that he would have done well, uh, you know, as a monk, I really mean it. Uh, he, he just had no, um, he put no weight in, in anything material. material. Yeah. You know, it felt like he had no, he was the most humble guy. I mean, he was just an extraordinary, extraordinary guy. I think it was very intuitive of you to ask him if he was an angel, because I mean, Hmm. he he sounds like a human angel far, far, you know, away from what most of us are doing in this human experience. I mean, we are so caught up in the human experience and it sounds like he just transcended that. I mean, he really came here with a mission. I want you to tell the audience about this amazing relationship that he and your mom had. I mean, spectacular Hmm. 30 years and they weren't together. Right. Explain this to the audience. Yeah. Unusual relationship. My mom and dad met when they were 12, uh, 12 and 13. You know, they were in sixth, seventh grade. Uh, So kids, complete kids. And my mom tells the story about how she fell in love with him the first time she saw him. Uh, She was on the bus uh, and she saw his, my dad had these sort of um, wonderful green eyes, you know, like uh, just the way he looked at you, you could, you felt some of that. Perhaps you're right. Ascended mastery. You know, you could feel it just in his eyes, the kindness um, and she fell in love the first time she saw those eyes, she says. Um, but, you know, they, my mom, uh, they got married right after high school. So again, they were just kids. They had me right after that. Um, and and then my mom, when she got her first uh, real job, she met a guy um, and she fell in love. And the way that she says it now is that her and my dad were basically best friends, They'd become best friends when they were 12 years old. They fell in love. Um, But over those years, for her, some of the romantic aspect of that relationship fell away. Um, And and I tell the story in the book about the fact that they got divorced and all of that um, only because it becomes important later on in some of the mediumship uh, sittings that we had. Uh, Uh, Very important. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, But my mom and my stepfather are still married to this day. So we all felt like it it, um, worked out the way it was supposed to. But that said, my dad was in love with my mom from the day he met her and that never went away for him. Um, He was crushed when they got divorced and I don't think he ever got over it. He got remarried at one point when he was 40, um, but that didn't, you know, that didn't stick uh, because I think he never, his heart never fully healed from, from losing my mom. Um, But being the incredible guy that he was, you know, and, and he, my mom cheated on my dad, which is, you know, my, my family's all very open about this. Again, there's no, there's no blame here when I'm talking about any of this, we all feel like it all worked out exactly how it was supposed to. But um, being cheated on the way that he was, you know, for me, I, I don't know that I could have done what he did. He, he completely swallowed that pride. He became friends with my stepfather, this guy who had helped uh, along with my mom to, to totally dismantle my dad's um, life and, and sense of where his life was going. 
he, the, he shook hands with him and became his friend so that he could stay in our lives as much as possible. Um, that's the kind of guy that my dad and my stepfather knows this as well. You know, my stepfather says this too, that, you know, it, it's just hard for anyone to live up to my dad. I will never do it. I know that I, my only <laughs> hope is to be uh, heading in the direction that he was in, uh, but, but to reach it is for, for me would be impossible. Uh, anyway, so, so they stayed friends. Um, their entire lives. And when my dad died, my, my mom's sense of devastation was so great that, like I said, I thought she was going to die too. I really thought she was going to die of a broken heart. Mm, yeah. He sounds extraordinary. And, and we're going to talk about the poem in a minute, but I got a couple, yeah. I got a lot more questions before we get to that. <laughs> um, I, I want you to talk about how you and your sister are cleaning out the house and you find out about this country song that you've never heard about yeah. and you're driving down the road and you talk about how mm, I don't typically listen to the radio. I usually listen to my phone or something else. And it yeah. was just far too much effort, far too much energy for you to turn anything on. So it was just the radio. Tell us about this lovely little side note of a, Hey, I'm still yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, th this was the first um, what I would now call a sign uh, or a communication from my dad, and and after death it was a big fat red sign. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! You know, I mean, yeah. Um, my my dad was a meticulous note taker. You know, he would scribble notes on these pieces of paper. But the one thing, as an if he had any fault in his life, he was completely disorganized. Um, as far as like his desk, he had this little home office. It was a total mess, you know, piles of notebooks with all of these hand scrawled notes. Um, so going through that office, um, this was the day before the wake, um, my sister and I found a little piece of paper that had been torn off, you know, like a little two inch piece of paper that had the words, believe, tell Jen on it. Uh, Jen is my sister's name. So we didn't know exactly what that meant, um, but we, you know, put it aside. And then an hour or so later, uh, further down in the pile, we find a second note, same thing on a little piece of paper, handwritten that says, believe a country song. So we realized that my dad, my dad loved to communicate with us through music. It was one of the ways um, I have this beautiful memory when we were young, uh, young teenagers, probably my dad uh, took us for a ride and he put on a Carol King song. Uh, it's called A Child of Mine. And he said, I want you to listen to these words. This is how I feel about you. So we're, we went for this drive and we're all crying listening to this beautiful song, <laughs> you know? So he, he communicated while he was here in a body through music often. Uh, so when we found these two notes, it, it broke our, our hearts because we quickly realized that, oh my gosh, my dad must have heard this song on two different occasions and, and wrote, wrote a note to himself to let my sister know that this was a song he wanted her to listen to, but he had forgotten about it. And it was way down in the pile. And we, we found out after the fact that this was a song that had been uh, on the radio years before. It was not a, a song that was currently popular. So he must have heard it years before and just forgot. But did so he? the next day, I mean, as I read he? this, I was like, I don't know. This seems oh, all yeah. very synchronistic. <laughs> oh, now I now I feel like his higher soul or whatever we want to call it knew eight years before that that paper was going to be found when it needed. Because exactly. if he had told if he had told us about this song eight years ago, or I mean, you know, eight years before he had passed, we would have thought, oh, that's a nice song. Right. But it would have had nothing uh, the level of the impact that it ended up having. Exactly. So the next morning we were at my mom's house um, getting ready for the wake and she decided she wanted to have some music playing at the wake. So we, we sat down on the couch to make a playlist and, and I said, oh, uh, you know, Google that song, uh, Believe, Country Music. And uh, we put it into iTunes and discovered the song Believe by Brooks and Dunn which I had, none of us had ever heard before. And we listened to it and I was, by the end of it, we, I was soaked in tears. We were all wow. soaked in tears because the song is about a man who believes that li life goes on after death. Uh, he, he's lost his wife and his uh, child, um, but he is okay because he knows without a doubt that life goes on and that he's going to see them again someday. And the song ends with, um, you can't tell me that it all ends in a slow ride in a hearse. 
So I couldn't quite believe it. Like, what were the chances that this song, there are not that many songs out there that are about death, right? It's not that common of a, of a theme and song. So we were blown away listening to the words. And that would have been quite enough uh, the way that happened. But <laughs> there was more to come because uh, a few days after the funeral, I was driving back to New York and it was the first time that I was alone now since losing my dad. And you know how it all kind of can hit you at one time, right? When you're planning the funeral and, and there's this rush of activity to make all of the, you know, get all of the logistics together and everything. And, and, and you're maybe not dealing with the situation, you know, you're doing sometimes. the busy work. It's keeping yes. you busy. <laughs> right. Exactly. And driving in that car that day, it was the first time that I was quiet and by myself and his absence hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like a ton of bricks dropped out of the sky onto my head. And I was crushed again, um, thinking, I don't know what, how I'm going to move forward without my dad. And as I'm sitting there crying, almost unable to see the road, you know, through my tears, thinking I'm, I should pull over now. The uh, like you said, I'd always listened to the radio to the um, music in the car, but it was always my iPod, right? I would always plug my phone in and listen to my own music. That day when I got into the car, I just had no energy to do that. Um, I was in such despair, I just didn't even think about it. And I didn't turn the radio on either. It just happened to be on quietly in the background. And as I'm sobbing, I suddenly hear these notes and these words, and I think that cannot be. It can't be. And then I go to turn it up and I'm, I'm like almost afraid to turn the radio up because if I'm hearing what I think I'm hearing, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to maintain control of this car. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and I'm getting chills right now telling the story because every time I think about this moment, I turn it up and I hear, you can't tell me it all ends in a slow ride in a hearse. It's that song, the song that none of us had ever heard before on the radio. It, it, I never listened to country music, you know, so I never had on a country station in my, uh, and I know you're from Nashville, so it's not that I don't love country music. I'm just, <laughs> I had not up until that point um, listened to a lot of it. And it just happened to be on, I guess, a, a Connecticut's country station uh, by whatever fluke of the universe. And I called my sister and I'm screaming into the phone, listen to this, listen to this. And, you know, my tears of sadness turned instantly into tears of ecstasy. Cause in that moment, I was sure, I was sure there's no doubt. This is definitely somehow, I don't know how it all works, but my dad got this song to play at this time. And, uh, he's still with me. That's how it felt in that moment. Well, I think it's such a, a testament, um, you know, and I love the title of the book. It's called Love Dad, How My Father Died and Then Told Me He Didn't. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, you talk about all these synchronicities. But what I think is really great is that um, a lot of people that I talk to on this show, um, you know, they hear stories like this, but it, like you're talking about with this song, it doesn't resonate with you until it resonates with you, until something mm -hmm. happens where it really is meaningful. And you talk about this enormous, uh, you don't even say it's depression. You say it's just this uh, utter hopelessness and yeah. this sadness of trying to navigate something that you've probably had friends go through, quote unquote, grief. And I'm grieving, but it doesn't mean anything to you until you go through your own grieving process. And this kind of puts you on this trajectory of, mediumship addiction, I'm going to call it. <laughs> um, and before we dive into Angelina, who sounds amazing, um, I'm just curious, you know, you have these really cool mystical experiences. Do you think that this really helped you that you had to have these opportunities kind of pop up in your life to open you up to this idea of not being religious but being open to the idea of I'm spiritual. Yes. Um, I, I would say that I've always had a sense that there's a lot more to the universe than our eyes can see and our ears can hear and that our scientific instruments um, can pick up. Um, 
but I, I've also always loved science, right? Before I became an actor, I was actually going to school to be a high school science teacher. That was my initial plan. I, I fell in love with science early on and, and the ability that science has to um, solve some of the mysteries of the universe as I saw it when I was a kid. You know, like I write in the book about how I could not understand the, the idea of a plane flying, for instance, how that could possibly stay in the air and learning about um, the scientific principle behind that when I got to, to like middle and high school was like, I felt like someone was giving me the keys to the universe, to the mysteries of the universe. Um, and, you know, we just landed a, we just landed a probe on Mars, right? A couple of weeks ago. And I was crying in my living room watching that. I mean, science is this an amazing tool, but that said, I've also always felt like there are things that science maybe cannot reach. Um, and, and I, until my dad passed, I was okay um, just having this vague sense of something more. You know, I, I was able to go through life totally happy, uh, just having this vague sense. But once I lost him, that vague sense was no longer enough. And then all of the science that I'd learned came rushing at me um, in a devastating way because mainstream science says that there is no, there, th th it's unequivocal that when your brain stops receiving oxygen, your heart stops beating and you die, that's it period, end of sentence. Um, mainstream science says that when, when the, the, the sense that we have of self, of awareness, you know, is just an illusion created by the brain. And it's really just a bunch of chemical reactions, trillions of chemical reactions happening that make, make you, you. Um, and that thought sent me into a full-blown existential crisis, full-blown panic um, that my dad might actually be be gone. So, um, yeah, you're right to say that I needed, you know, I did a wake up call for you. Yes, <laughs> I did. Because the way that my brain works, even after I had that, for instance, you know, the, the experience with the song on the radio, I was in absolute ecstatics when it happened. But an hour later, my brain starts to try to calculate the odds that it could be coincidence, right? My brain just won't let me have things very easily, <laughs> as, as you see in the book, uh, which is why I put the poor medium um, through the ringer. Hell? Yes. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Um, but, but that all, I now see it as, as happening exactly the way that it had to. And the reason that people that I speak with now, trust me, uh, you know, people who are on the, the skeptical end of the spectrum, uh, trust, trust me when I tell them this story, uh, because I, uh, that is how my brain works and I really need, um, evidence. Yeah. Well, that was very clear as I was reading the book. I mean, you, you are definitely, you, you have a very strong materialistic view. You can tell that you have that scientific background in you. Um, but I love that your dad just kept on doing it anyways. <laughs> he just kept on like, what's the saying? Keep on keeping on like, yes. so, and it's funny. Cause like these amazing, wild, unexplainable, unreasonable, unlogical things keep happening to you and you keep trying to discredit them. And I'm just like, Good grief, poor dad. Like he's probably I, over there with sweating. his hand on his forehead, rolling his eyes, yes. like good grief, child. <laughs> I picture that's exactly how I picture him with like his hands on his knees, you know, wiping the sweat from his brow, <laughs> saying, What else could I possibly do to prove this to you? That's how I picture him. So yeah. So explain to us your I think it's your sister that goes to the uh, a medium. This wasn't it. I can't remember if it was Angelina or not, but she tells you this experience or tells you a story yeah. about a butterfly. So let's well, start with her. And then we'll talk about the experience of Angelina coming over to your house and you're okay. putting her through the ringer. The poor Angelina. <laughs> yes. Um, who, who's a good friend of mine. I'll say now, but yeah, I, I put that woman through so much. Um, but the way that it all started, this was again, my father, pulling the strings. Uh, mediumship is not something that we sought out initially. It dropped into our lives. It was this external presence that dropped into our, to our lives one day when this medium who we had never met. This was Christina, um, right? Christina, okay. Christina Traeger. We had never met her. Um, she contacted my family 
to say that she was communicating with my father and that he was desperate to get a message to us that he was okay. Um, you know, it's kind of a long story and I detail in the book exactly how it happened, but yeah, it was through your cousin, right? Cause he's was, a ghostbuster. <laughs> he's exactly, he's a, he's a, yeah. On the weekends, he's a, he hunts ghosts, you know, which I didn't even know about. This was a second cousin that I never saw. Um, I couldn't even picture who he was when my mom first told me that he'd called the house, but yeah, uh, she's a medium on his team and through him, it was, it was as though my dad, died, came out of his body, looked around and found the closest medium that he could. That was, it was like seven degrees separation from Kevin Bacon. Like that's exactly what I was thinking it was. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. But that was like the closest he could find in that moment. You know, um, this, this woman vaguely connected to my family, but his, um, according to her, his insistence was so strong that he, that she get the message to us. Um, that he could not let it go, uh, he, that she she couldn't let it go because he was not going to give up until he was sure that we knew he was still around. So anyway, through th a longer story short, I ended up talking to this woman, you know, because once, you know, again, with the way that my mind works, I needed to know, is this just a crazy person who's calling our house talking about like, what is going on? So I talked to her for a long time. And what I concluded was that she was a wonderfully sweet, compassionate woman who absolutely believed what she was saying. Um, that was as much as I could say. She was not someone who was out to, to, uh, to, to get anything from us. Um, she seemed to me to just be a beautiful person who really truly believed that my body, my dad without a body was trying to get this message to us. So I tell my sister about the phone call and then a morning or two after that, she happens to be driving to work and she hears a medium on the radio. There was this Angelina Diana who uh, every once in a while, I guess on Friday mornings did a, a radio segment where listeners would call in to get readings. And Jen thought that the timing of that was pretty, pretty uh, fantastic. You know, we had just had this medium call us um, and then a day or two later, she hears this medium right here in Connecticut on the, on the radio. So uh, that's when Jen set up an appointment uh, with Angelina Diana. And so Angelina comes to your house and uh, I love how you really describe in the book, like you are scoping her out. <laughs> You're watching her eyes to see what yeah. she's looking at. You're wondering if she's looked at you up like on Facebook and the obituaries. I mean, literally she's throwing out far-fetched things and you're like, well, that wasn't mentioned in the obituary. But I mean, I guess if she like, I mean, you were like stretching, really stretching. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, she nails that you're listening to dad's voicemails. She nails that you're sleeping in a sweatshirt. She nails the butterfly. She nails the poem and you're still reaching for straws and I want to strangle you. <laughs> yeah. I, when I, I had a, 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 I did an interview yesterday with someone who is a medium and that's exactly what she said to me. She was like, I, I wanted to slap you upside the head as I was reading your book. Um, but again, to go back to as, as I'm sitting in, in the house with Angelina doing this reading, according to everything that I'd learned in college with regard to, to science, these people who, who people who call themselves mediums have to be lying. According to science, there's no other explanation because there is no way to talk to someone who's dead because they're gone. Um, so that's in the back of my mind. I, I'm thinking if, if science is correct, she has to be deceiving us in some way. How is she doing it? And of course, within minutes of Angelina beginning, I re my mind was reeling because as you just said, she, she was giving this information that there is no way she could have known by normal means. Um, <clears throat> but I had set up a personal experiment that night before she came. Um, Which I again, had, I had, Mike, I loved this. I love yeah. that you test dad and Angelina. I mean, without a shadow yeah. of a doubt, you know, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Th okay. I mean, this moment, Change, tell this the, moment tell the totally. audience what what you asked dad to do yeah 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 this, this this is the moment that totally sent my life in a new direction i would have uh, peed my pants <laughs> i i may have i may have amanda I, I i mean it was that stunning but um before angelina came to the house uh i i was at my dad's house my dad and my mom never moved very far from each other even after they'd gotten divorced so he he lived right around the corner from my mom um and i was in his house that day you know doing some cleaning up and i said okay dad 
um, the, 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 since I'd known that Angelina was coming, I'd been trying to come up with a code word for him, you know, to, to say so that I would know that it was him. And uh, it hadn't occurred to me yet. So I was standing in the garage that day and suddenly this memory hit me with this mighty force. I remembered when we were little kids, uh, when they had first gotten divorced, we would spend the weekends with my dad. Uh, and he was living with his mom at that point and he didn't have a bedroom. So we all slept on the floor in the living room in sleeping bags. And my sister and I, you know, it was like camping for us, the novelty of it. We were so excited to see my dad on Friday nights. We just could not go to sleep. So my dad would play with our hair to help us fall asleep. And, you know, I would beg him for hours and hours, you know, I'd say five more minutes, dad, five more minutes. And the poor guy until his hand was ready to fall off <laughs> would play with our hair to help me fall asleep. So this memory, something I hadn't thought of, by the way, in years, it just floods into me for some reason. And I said, okay, dad, this is it. If this woman, uh, comes tonight, you have to get her to mention my hair. You have to have her talk about my hair in some capacity. If she doesn't do that, it doesn't matter what else she says. I'm not going to be able to believe it. You know how my brain works. I need you to have her mention my hair. So, um, you know, the reading lasted for maybe an hour and a half or two hours. And like I said, by, by the end of it, we were all completely taken and in tears and believing that this was real, that Angelina was somehow doing something real. Um, and, and if she was faking this, right? If you are someone who is a charlatan and you're making money on grieving people, um, you have just had a wonderful night. Everyone in this living room is crying. They're all gonna go tell everyone they know about it and you're gonna get a whole bunch of work out of this, right? So if you're faking it, if you're a con artist, you know when to leave, you know, because you, you've done, the mission is accomplished. Um, why press your luck? But instead, I had totally forgotten about my little experiment, right? Because of how amazing everything was. And, and then we're wrapping up to leave. And apropos of nothing, because An Angelina was in the middle of saying something else and she stopped and she looked right at me, only me and said, your dad wants to talk about your hair. And it was like someone punched me in the stomach. I, I mean, it literally took my breath away. I couldn't breathe for a second. You know, I, I mean, I, I gasped and my mom and sister are saying, what, what? Because I, I hadn't, I had shared it with no one. It was purely between me and my father. So when Angelina said he wants to talk about your hair, it sent my life in a brand new, uh, down a brand new path that I never expected. I think I would have messed with you and said, you know, uh, your hair and oh, by the way, rabbits too. Cause you were saying, even if he says rabbit hair, I'm in. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but tell us about uh, you and Jen going through the house and finding the scribbled out poem, because I think this is very oh. much like the song. If he had indeed shared it with you eight years ago, it would have meant nothing. And I think the poem would have done exactly the same thing, but it did exactly what it was supposed to do at the right time. I agree. Yeah. We, when we were cleaning out his closet, we found this little lock box in the back of a closet and it had all of these little treasures in it, you know, um, wonderful things. And it makes me emotional to think about it because, um, you know, he, we found, this carefully folded up poem that he'd written. And as loving as my dad was, right, we've talked about how extraordinary he was. He was not flowery in his language. He expressed his love in action and in, in lots of other ways, but he wasn't a guy who talked a whole lot, right? And we found that, and we, the idea that he would ever write a poem was not something that we would ever have, have thought of, right? But we found this beautiful poem that he wrote and he must have written it um, right after they had gotten separated, but before they got divorced. And in it, he's um, proclaiming his undying love for my mom, um, saying, uh, you know, basically it's like his last ditch effort to win her back, right? And and there are these heartbreaking crossouts, like he scribbled out words and wrote a new word up above it, like he was searching for the word or the words that would bring my mom back, you know? And to think, think of him- too, to convey the emotion that he was feeling. Yeah. You know, and he couldn't quite, it, it, and I understand where he's coming from. Like it's sometimes hard to articulate 
in words in our human language mm -hmm. the feelings and to me that is a true soul connection yes i agree i agree um but so because it had these crossouts we thought that this must have been a first draft and we were sure that he must have um, finished it and then given it to my mom way back when. Again, this was, he would have been maybe 24, 25 years old when he was writing this. So, um, you know, we carefully folded back up and there was no way we were going to give it to my mom. You know, there was no way because my mom was already devastated. And we were sure that if she read this poem um, from my dad uh, showing his breaking heart, that would have done her in. You know, that would have been the straw that broke the camel's back. So we, we folded it back up and locked it back away in that lockbox. So uh, during the reading, <laughs> she, Angelina, says to my sister, um, did, did you find a, um, well, first she said, did your dad like poetry? And we said, no. Because again, my dad was not, you know, he didn't do, he wasn't like a big reader, you know. Um, I, I talk in the book about how I, I do a lot of Shakespeare, for instance. And, uh, you know, my dad had never read, I don't think a Shakespeare play, you know, and he'd never heard it unless I was in a show. Um, it just wasn't his thing. So when Angelina asked, does your dad like poetry? We thought that was one of her few misses. Um, so we said, no, we no. And she said, okay, let me, you know, let me try to figure this out. And then she looks up and she's, she, she is um, doing whatever it is she does when she's getting these communications. And she says, um, did you find a handwritten note from your dad? Hmm. And immediately we put the two together, <laughs> you know, the poem and the handwritten note. And so my sister says, yes. And then Angelina says, with nothing else added, all Jen says is yes. And then Angelina says, your dad wants you to give that note to your mom. So, um, you know, and then my mom is saying, what note did you find? What are you talking about? And again, we're, we're unsure about what to do at this point right. because <laughs> we're afraid to give it to my mom. Um, but now my sister, my sister believes more easily than I do. And, and, and Jen totally believed at this point that this is absolutely uh, genuine. And we, we trust that my dad must know what he's talking about. So the next day uh, we give the note to my mom and she reads it and um, she carefully folded it up uh, and she was holding it like it was the most precious thing she'd ever held. And she's holding it to her chest. And she says, I want you to bury me with this poem. Oh, the bottom and, dropped out for when I read that. I was oh like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Because as it turned out, he never did give her that poem. He did not finish it and give her a finished copy. We asked her if she'd ever gotten it. And she said, no, I never got this. And if she had gotten it back then, it would not have meant anything near to what it did when she finally did get it, right? She she was a young girl in head over heels in love. Um, so if he had given her that note, it would, it, you know, she she may not have even finished reading it back then, right? Instead, totally though, fallen on deaf ears. It was yes. so poignant. Yes. The it's, timing of all of it, I was just like, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that note got delivered 30 something years later and by the time it was delivered, it now it is the, the most precious, yes. it's now the most precious thing she has. Yeah. Oh God. When I read that, I was like, Mike, if at this point you still don't believe I'm going <laughs> to strangle you. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, what was really great about this is it, it was definitely opening you up to a new chapter in your life. It was definitely opening you up to this um, non-materialistic view and the idea that consciousness, obviously, Mike, obviously <laughs> goes on beyond the human meat suit. And you went on a little bit of a, a medium binge, I would say. <laughs> you went yeah. on a little bit of a journey. Um, but I'm curious, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, and you talked about Lily Dell in, in the uh, documentary and, and you talk about Dr. Bichelle. Did I say that right? Uh, Dr. But yeah, very close. Dr. Bichelle. Yep. Oh, I'll get it right. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, you know, through all of these really great experiences and, and even with Leslie, what were you really seeking for? What were you really hoping to gain? Were you getting kind of addicted to the idea of feeling the closeness with dad or what were you really searching for with all of these people you were connecting with? It was really just the 
proof that I needed that he really was still with me. Uh, you know, I needed to know that I wasn't fooling myself. Um, you know, I go into the book about all of the different ways that skeptics say, uh, you know, mediums are cheating. And it was clear to me they weren't, that's not what was happening here. But then I started to think, okay, well, what if this is telepathy, right? What, what if it's, what if Angelina and these mediums are reading my mind, um, which that alone would totally shatter, you know, our, our Western scientific paradigm, that alone would shatter that. Um, so then I tested that by, by uh, my sister and I went to see a medium named Jonathan Lewis in Long Island. And uh, my mom was not going with us. So I said, mom, uh, when we leave the house today, I want you now to talk to dad and come up with a code and you're not gonna tell us and see if dad can get that code word to come through the medium. And sure enough, um, the reading with Jonathan Lewis was also amazing. Uh, and there was just very few things that did not make sense. And one of the things that did not make sense was the code word that my mom had given my dad that morning. So that ruled out uh, telepathy. Well, I, you know, as I was, one, I would recommend that everybody watch the documentary. I really, really enjoyed it. And I loved, again, the synchronicity of me. It just kind of fell in my lap. And, it, you know, if I have a choice of watching a movie or learning more about near-death experiences and, and hearing about spiritual things, hands down, every time I'm, I'm going to go for the NDE and the spiritual stuff and, and yeah. talking about consciousness. And it was just very kismet for me. Um to watch it. And then you pop up in my inbox. Would you yeah. like to interview him? And I'm like, huh? And then I read the book and I'm like, ah, this is dad. Yeah. <laughs> He's at work again. Yeah. I, I, I kind of saw him like putting his hands together, like an evil genius. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this Mike, And I knew that I would because his story is really extraordinary. Your story is extraordinary. And I think that um, it was all very well planned and very well thought out. I mean, just all of it, you know, as you go through the book and um, you hear about the stories of the song and the poem and you're like, good grief. I mean, the timing of all this, it was like playing chess. Like yes. his yes. he was playing chess. The book is called Love Dad, How My Father Died and Then Told Me He Didn't. I love that. Um, fantastic book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Mike also uh, has a chapter where he talks about uh, some more evidence of the CIA using remote viewing and all kinds of stuff. Like he's trying to convince us. There's no convincing, Mike. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if people want to learn more about you, uh, definitely I would recommend watching uh, the Netflix series called Surviving Death. It was phenomenal. I was addicted to it. I, I sat down and I don't normally do this, but I sat down and I watched the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> sitting. But if people are interested in getting the book or learning more about you, where do they go? What do they do? Uh, MikeAnthony.com. Uh, that's where I have everything that uh, that I'm, I'm working on. And uh, the Netflix series, you know, it, it really only just touches the surface, scratches the surface of um, the evidence out there. So um, I'm, I'm there's, you know, I have some clips on my website of some uh, my own documentary that I'm going to be working on as well. Um, so yeah, MikeAnthony.com. And I, I think that it's, you know, really fantastic that, you know, like you said, the, the message is on Netflix and it, it just kind of opens you up to more curiosity. Huh? Mm -hmm. Maybe there's more. And yes. I think that that's what's really great about your book is you, it gives you the ability to dive in a little bit deeper and, and, um, hear a little bit more about the story and, and how uh, synchronistic and how involved your father has been since he passed and all the little parts and pieces he's been doing um, to convince you guys and, and, and get you on the, the path that you're on now. Yes. Yep. He, he, the, I, I, I hope he knows now that I am now uh, there. I want him to take a seat have a cold drink and just relax the poor guy <laughs> after everything i have put him through i now know dad uh without a doubt and i i have to thank my dad um because uh i really the effort that he has put in to do what he has done uh you know just an extraordinary man i love you dad and uh thank you thank you mike for saying yes to this and coming on the show it's been such a pleasure a real pleasure thank you for having me
Thank you, everyone, for joining me on this amazing show today. I hope that you all go out and get this amazing book. Uh, Be prepared to be frustrated. I know that I was. I wanted to hit Mike over the head (laughs) because he was so skeptical of everything. Uh, But it is an extremely uh, just really enjoyable read. Um, and, And especially if you're going through... Uh, a grieving process right now it's it's just extremely insightful and helpful I think for um, someone to understand that death is not final all right everyone thank you for joining me on the show today don't forget that the course top five disruptors is on sale and don't forget to join us over at patreon to receive the extended version the extended cut of this show all right everyone thanks for joining me and hey Trust the vibe, because the energy never lies.